Hello again. Oh my goodness. Well, today uh, we're going to be honoring, it's, it's lots of honoring happening today, just so you know. Um, we're going to be honoring our high school seniors and um, our uh, college graduates as well. If you don't know me, my name is Shelly Hansen, and I'm the next generation pastor here at New Covenant. And um, so um, today is just all about um, just kind of this I don't know, loving and honoring people who have gone through and done the hard things. We want to honor our graduates. We want to communicate that we love you um, and that we're rooting for you, um, all of that. So we're going to call all those graduates up at the end because we have a gift for you, and I'll tell you about that um, after a bit. But I don't want you distracted reading your book while we're trying to give the message. Ah, yes, thank you. It's up at the top. Uh, We're releasing baptism. Anyone who's going to the baptism class, you can go ahead and go on out. So um, you're going to have to forgive me today. We've had, you know, so spoiler alert, I'm about to teach on trials. You know, we've been reading the book of James, things like that. We're going to talk about trials. And, um, but, you know, doesn't that happen that the, the week that you're going to teach on trials is the week that you have, you know. I'm telling you, I've had the busiest week of my life <laughs> this week. I am going to stick way to my notes because um, otherwise it just won't go well. So. If you notice that I'm doing that, just forgive me. Um, That's going to happen. So anyway, all right. So today is honoring graduates, all of that. So you know what that means. That means that it's graduation speech time. You get to sit through another graduation speech. But listen, okay, I have been like preparing for this for my whole life, okay? I've always wanted to be like a keynote speaker at a graduation, you know? Like somebody invite me to the college to speak. I'll settle for high school. It's no big deal. I've always wanted to be like a motivational speaker, something like that. I don't know. Anyway, so that's what I'm excited. Just know that I'm, I'm pumped. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to motivate you. So, you know, when I was in high school, okay, we had, um, do you guys remember Montel Williams? You know, he had the, so before he had the talk show, right, he was a high school motivational speaker. Does anybody remember them coming to their high school? Yes. Do you know what he said? Mountain, get out of my way. Does anybody remember that? It was the greatest thing ever. I think I was in eighth grade and I went on, a, it was just so awesome. I'll never forget it. Anyway, mine's not going to be that cool. Okay, just, <laughs> it's just not. I don't have anything cool like that, but one day I'm going to be like up here with Montel, okay? All right, so, but we're going to try to keep it upbeat, um, all of that. But just so you know, even though you are not a graduate, right? Not everybody in here is a graduate. We're all in transition, right? We all might be experiencing a little chaos, right? (laughs) All of that. Um, We're all just in a place where we're going to a next season. I think that this is just that time for that. Um, especially I think about, you know, the seniors who are, um, you know, they're graduating, but I think about the parents right now. Y'all pray for the parents of seniors. Number one, their little hearts are just in transition. Number two, they are preparing for open houses. (laughs) It's rough. Okay. All right. So they're all in a trial. Okay. So, um, anyway, the whole reason kind of why, um, it's, it's funny, and, and I, I had this thought. I was like, is it serendipitous, or is it really like the timing of the Lord that we as a church body are reading the book of James? 
because this is my big motivational talk for all of you who are moving on and transitioning, all of that. Hey guys, guess what? Your life is going to be full of trials. One after another, after another, after another. Woo! Everybody feeling good about that? Okay, so, and I thought, wow, how cool that we're, you know, this is that time of year. I mean, James in itself is its own motivational speech. It really, really is. I mean, he's a little harsh sometimes, but, um, but so, so good. And um, anyway, so um, we as a church, you know, we, let me catch you up if you're new. We as a church, we have been emphasizing discipleship, um, doing these here journals. We're doing a family reading plan, all of that. And so we've been reading the book of James. So uh, a couple weeks ago, it was James 1 and 2. This past week was James 3 and 4. Okay, so that's why. And um, James is, um, it, so James was Jesus's half-brother, right? We knew that. We learned that last week from Tom. Um, he's writing the letter to the 12 tribes in dispersion. They were scattered, not living in Jerusalem. Again, we learned that last last week. Did I say last year? Okay. Whew. See, I told you I'm tired. So um, anyway, um, they knew trials. The, the people that James were writing to, they knew trials. They knew persecution. They knew um, suffering, and they understood that. So James was writing to encourage them. So um, before we get into James, I'm about to make a detour here. So before we get into James, um, I want to do a little bit of a rabbit trail. I, I know, I see I'm chaotic today, but that's okay. I want to take a minute to talk about our church mission statement as well, and I'm going to tie it in. Um, but what better time to start thinking about your mission than in times of transition, right? Um, so we all have an individual mission in life. Every one of us should. Um, but our mission statement, our church mission statement, if you are part of our body, the, it, we, we all work together. You know, we are a body, they're linked. So if um, we have an individual mission in life, and then we also have a corporate mission that we should all be pursuing. They're linked, um, we're all connected. So we're going to talk about that for a second. So for just a minute, I want to ask, where did our church mission come from? We want to talk about that for a second. So how did we discover our church mission and um, how do we accomplish our mission? Now, we taught several messages back in 2016 on our mission statement. And um, I'm not going to reach, I mean, it was probably like eight messages, I think, we did to break down our mission statement to teach on it. I am only going to hit a few high points today because I don't have time to squeeze all this in. But you can go back to our website and access those old messages if anything that I say. If you're new to the church and you're like, oh, I'd love to know more about your mission, you can find that on our website. So um, I pulled out those old messages. I had Tom send me old notes, and so that's what I'm pulling from right now for the next little bit. So our mission is a combination of biblical revelation and prophetic revelation. So the word says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, right? Cast out demons, baptize them, and teach them to obey. Um, so the other way that we discover our mission is by paying attention to the prophetic revelation that's been given to us. You do that for your life as well. If, as, as people speak prophetically over you, that is incorporated into your life mission. So this is the prophetic word that was spoken over our church many, many years ago in the foundational years. And this is the word. It says, this church will have enough older people for just enough stability. It will seem to be like a youth movement 
for the most part, the greatest impact will be with young people. God is going to affect a generation in this city. He's going to raise up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God. Some will struggle and say this church is a bunch of kids. It's okay. God is going to arrest a group and generation that are not going to have to wrestle with conformity to religious tradition. Yes, God may emphasize this generation in a way that makes others uncomfortable, but God sometimes drives the pendulum one way in order that we don't compromise and fall back to where we were. Whoo, I just feel the Holy Spirit all over that. Man, and we are starting to see that before our very eyes. I look at the number of young people that are in this church, and it just, it overwhelms me. It's just amazing. So based on that, Um, prophetic word and revelation from scripture is where we got our mission statement which do you guys want to all read it together let's do it okay we are raising up radical passionate aggressive lovers of God and people from the next generation that will love deeply serve sacrificially speak truthfully live holy and go globally in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit, calling all people to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Isn't that inspiring? Doesn't that just, I mean, I get fired up every single time I hear that. I'm like, yes, that is what we are doing. That's what we're going for. Now, however, there seems to be a disconnect on how this has hit the ears of those in the next generation. So back in November, I was um, taking some time and I was talking to some of our high schoolers and they got vulnerable with me and they shared with me how intimidating they felt like our mission statement was. It was pressure. It was, it, it, they, they disqualified themselves because they said, well, I'm, and they separated themselves from it. They said, I'm not that, so you're not raising me up. It's somehow, I'm not those things, so this must not, you're not talking to me. You're talking to somebody else. And I was shocked. And I was like, what? What? You know, (laughs) I was so blindsided. And, And I was so thankful that they were just honest about it. I thought, oh my gosh, here, this thing that I thought was bringing encouragement, that was pulling life out, actually was hitting their ears in a way that said, you're never gonna get it. You're never gonna be this. And I thought, oh, whoa, something's wrong. Something's not right. Now, we're not changing our mission statement. Just <laughs> That's not happening. Um, but, you know, it really made me go on, on this mission of understanding why. What is going on? And, you know, when I look at, when I look at the next generation and their, and their culture, you know, their culture cultivates performance. You know, it, it's a, and I don't mean this derogatory. It just is what it is. There, it's a social media world. We present the best version of ourselves all the time. It's always, you know, performance, performance, performance. And so that's, that's just how it is. Life is full of unrealistic expectations for this generation. But what's so cool about Gen Z, which they hate to be called that, but is that they're amazing. I mean, Gen- Generation Z are creative. They're innovative. They're hard workers. They're as hardworking as the greatest generation back in the day. I mean, these guys are awesome. But there is a, there's, with every um, generation, there is a, 
you know, just like a little glitch, a little, little miss. And, the, and this generation struggles with resilience, with bouncing back from hard times. And um, so that's something that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about resilience. I'm going to get more into that in a minute. But first, I want to just take a minute and clarify our mission statement, okay? I want to take a minute to say there are some things that we assume that you understand when you're reading our mission statement. You know, it's already a long mission statement. We can't include all this in there. So, but, um, so the first argument that people say is um, people who love like that are called to full-time church ministry. You know, radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God are pastors, right? Something like that. They say, well, that's not me. I don't want to be a pastor, <laughs> you know? And so they go, that's not for me. So the first thing I want to say, here's our unspoken clarifying statement number one. Making this your mission does not necessarily mean you'll have ministry as your vocation inside the church. Because let me say this. Everybody who loves the Lord should be in full-time ministry wherever they are. You are a minister of the gospel the minute that you get saved, period. If you're a business person, wherever you are, you're, represent, you're in full-time ministry. It's just, are you getting paid? Is this your, you know, whatever. So there is this thing. Have you guys ever heard of the Seven Mountain Mandate? Um, look it up. I didn't make this up. This isn't mine. <laughs> but there is a Seven Mountain Mandate that talks about, and it just breaks down how um, we are supposed to infiltrate culture. And there are different uh, representations that we're supposed to go into to um, influence the world. One of them is the religion and the church mountain, which is what we're doing right now. That is, that is people who are called to full-time ministry. Um, there are other mountains. It's called uh, education, people who are teachers, who are in the education system, principals, all of that. Family mountain. Those are stay-at-home moms and people who, you know, uh, help cultivate family relationships. Business, government, media, and entertainment. So all of those... Um, represent where we're supposed to go. When we become radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God, we're supposed to go out into the world. Only 3% of people are called to the church mountain. Everyone else is going out to these other mountains. So I just wanted to make clear that, that this is, if you are going to fulfill the mission at New Covenant and the mission that you've now adopted as your own, it is, it's going out into the world. It doesn't mean you have to be in full-time ministry, although I think some people will be, because we've got some pretty awesome people here. Okay, so <clears throat> the next thing I want to clarify or to talk about are the words radical, passionate, and aggressive, because this can trip people up. Okay, um, they say, well, I don't love like that. I don't know how to love, and I don't even know if I want to love like that. Let's just, let's just be real. But let's talk about the word radical. So, of course, that word has been hijacked by ISIS and the Taliban, you know, all of that. So we, we don't mean that. We're not trying to represent terror or intimidation. That is not, it's not what we're doing. Um, it, you know, relationship with the Lord has nothing to do with fear or terror or intimidation, right? Okay, all right. So what we mean is by, by radical is extreme in action or thought. Okay, we're talking about being extreme. It's talking about going against accepted or traditional norms. It's just going against the grain. It's being a counterculture. It's being different than what most people represent. So, for example, most people would say 
that we have radical Sunday mornings. Would you guys agree? Our worship is radical. It's against traditional norms. Not many people worship the way we do in the Midwest. We'll just say that. Um, It's just different. We pray for physical healing and people get healed. That's radical. Not all churches do that. Not all people do that. Um, We teach our children how to hear God's voice and how to prophesy. That's radical. I mean, we, we give authority to kids to prophesy. That, that is radical thought, okay? Um, and we teach them how to pray for the sick as well. Um, so anyway, radical is just, you can replace the word extreme with that. So um, anything that breaks from existing or traditional form of something will be considered radical or extreme. So that's what we mean by radical, okay? We mean that you are going to love in a way that breaks traditional norms. You're going to be... Um, radical about that. So passionate, we all know, we all have an idea of what passionate means, right? We're like, hmm. Okay, yeah. Did you know that that's really not the original meaning of the word passion? I, it was, it's not in my notes. It was in Tom's notes. I think Shakespeare is the one who's the first one who actually switched the word passion to like a romantic passion. It's not the original. It's not what the Bible meant by passion. It's actually, um, it means suffering, Um, It means that we love even when it hurts. Yeah. It's not this ooey gooey over, you know, it's, it's, I I love when it hurts. The Bible calls us to love in a way that is a great cost to ourselves. Yeah. And again, and I realize I'm not, uh, well, I was going to say, it's hard, isn't it? And, and I'm just reaffirming to some, yeah, see, I don't want to love like that. <laughs> I'm going to answer that in a second. So, um, so aggressive, again, of course we don't mean aggressive. I'm going to, you know, come after somebody. Um, we, it's, I think the definition is ready or likely to attack or confront. Now, what we mean? We mean more like aggressive, like, you know, in basketball, like, be aggressive. You know, okay. Um, my cheerleading days are coming back to me. Um, so aggressive means to love with an all-out effort to succeed, bold assertiveness, proactive love. It is not passive. Pursuing love, it goes after the object of its affection. Okay, so here is my unspoken clarifying statement number two. The way you love like that is to first know and understand how much God loves us. So if any of you are sitting there going, I don't want to love like that. There's no way. I, can't, I don't want to love till it hurts. That's annoying. Okay, if that's the case, you don't have a giving love problem. You have a receiving love problem. If you want to love in a radical and passionate and aggressive way, you need to first understand how much you are loved and it comes out of your overflow. So I'm going to say that again. If you have a, if we have a giving, I'm not speaking at me, I'm talking to me. (laughs) If we have a giving love problem, it's because the root is a receiving love problem. Because we love because he first loved us, and that's 1 John 4, 19. And then in Matthew, it talks about teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. So there is kind of an order to how this goes. 
He loves us. We love God in return. We love ourselves. We love others. Amen? All right. Are we in agreement with that? Okay. All right. So, hold on. Oh, yeah, no, okay, I got it. I was like, wait, I just missed, okay. Edit that. All right. (laughs) So let's talk about the first few words of our mission statement, we are raising up, okay? That means we are raising up. That means we're not there yet. We are all in process, okay? None of us love like that. Okay, it's, we want to, on our best day, maybe we can. It is a process, okay? So if you're intimidated by it, just chill. I promise you, the more you understand how much God loves you, and the more you get that revelation, the more you will be able to love. And I want to specify this, that we are raising up means we aren't there, which leads me to my third unspoken clarifying statement. You will make messes in the process of growing. We are not expecting perfection from any of you. We are, if, you're, if you're leading or, or doing anything, we don't expect per- perfection. There are these things called affordable mistakes. They're valuable in the process of learning. And we as a church, we are fully aware and ready to embrace you in your mistakes and messes and partner with you as you learn to clean them up. And that's the key. Humility, being willing to clean them up, being willing to hold yourself accountable to say, hey, I want to try this. I want to lead. I want to do this thing. And it's, it's coming back and getting feedback and going, okay, how do I do? Where can I improve? Because we can all improve, right? We can all receive feedback, all of that. We, this, is, this is who we are. We are raising up. We are not afraid of messes. We are not afraid of your learning process. It is a process. And so anyway, all right, does that feel better? Does that feel a little better? Less pressure? You know, we're, okay, because I want that mission statement to be encouraging, right? Not like, I can't do that. I guess, yeah, stick to your notes. Okay, I say dumb things when I go off my notes, so it's important that that I stick to them. Okay, all right, now that we have all that cleared up, we're ready to be radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people, right? Amen? Okay. So we're going to conquer the world. We're all fired up. We're all ready. All the graduates in the room are like, yes, this is a new season of life. Woohoo! And I already spoiled it earlier. Welcome to adulthood. Trial after trial after trial after trial. Okay. And so because that's, that's just going to be, that's just what happens. You're going to have um, obstacles. You're going to have things that you have to overcome. You're going to be growing. You're going to be learning. And all of that is painful. And I talked about resilience earlier, and I have me a little object lesson because I wouldn't be teaching if I didn't have an object lesson because this is just who I am. Okay, so because resilience, it means it's like the ability to bounce back when you've come against something. So I like this little spongy thing. Okay, this is an example of what resilience is. It is so simple. Life comes at you, and it pokes on you, right? The trial comes, you're under pressure, and then you bounce back. OK? 
Okay, simple as that. That's what resilience means. It's the ability to bounce back after pressure or after life has come and tried to poke you. It's just bouncing back. Now, when you don't have resilience, this is Plato right here. When you don't have resilience and the world comes at you and trials comes at you, different things, you get under pressure. You're molded and changed. You break under the pressure. The trial begins to change you. Now, let's clarify our metaphors here <laughs> because the Lord tells us that we are to be clay in his hands, right? When the Lord touches us and molds us, we better bend and mold to whatever it is, okay? When the world and trials come at us, <laughs> We need to be resilient, and we need to be sponge-like, bouncing back. So separate your metaphors. You're actually both. You're clay in the hands of the Lord. You are resilient and sponge-like when you're in the world. Amen? All right. So I need you to hear me right now. Are all the young people listening? I need young people to listen to me. I like, put your phone down. I don't even know if you're on it, but listen. I'm going to read this because this is your ability to be resilient in the face of trials will prove to be the single most important thing to be successful in your life. It tops intelligence and creativity any day. Any day. Yes. You have got to learn to be resilient because here... I just want to share, how am I doing? Okay, I'm doing great on time. So, um, you know, I have, I, I don't know if any of you know this, I, um, the last couple of months I've been um, partnering up with Pastor Juanita Suggs from Bethany Tabernacle, and we've been going to the jail and doing some jail um, visits. It's been awesome. I've met some of the greatest people, just the sweetest, kindest people. It's been amazing. And we get to hear their stories. You know, many of them, I would say 98% of them are in there because of addiction. And um, stupid things that they do in, in the process or, or getting caught with possession or whatever it is, whatever. And, um, but you get in there and you get, begin to have conversations with them and you get to hear their stories. Every time, you guys, every time somebody is in addiction. And I, I, I hate to say absolutes from the, from the pulpit, you know, but I would say 98% of the time, People who, have su who suffer with addiction have gone through trauma. And, and I mean trauma after trauma after trauma in their life. There's one gal that was precious as can be, raised in church, uh, was married to a youth pastor, um, real young, and um, had a baby at 19 that passed away. And couldn't, couldn't bounce back. It, it literally, I mean, it, it, she was caved, and she was crushed, and she was broken. And then her marriage ended, and she turned to, she said, heroin found me. And I'm going to talk more about kind of how that happens in a minute. And here she was 12 years later, ended up getting clean, had another baby. It was stillborn. Caused her to relapse. It's about pain, you guys. It's about not being able to bounce back. I don't know how to deal with the troubles and the trials that come in my life. And they come at me, and I just cave. And James gives us amazing tools and amazing wisdom on how to 
allow ourselves to be resilient when things like that happen. And um, anyway, okay. If you can cultivate a heart that is resilient and can find the Lord in the middle of hardship and can persevere, you will make it. All right, so let's go to James 1, 2, and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, trials, in, in this instance, um, trials, he's talking about persecution. We can pl- apply it to our lives as tests, tribulation, and trial. And various kinds mean various or different. It's really not that deep, you know. <laughs> it's really basically uh, anything you're going through that creates pressure, you can interpret that like as a trial. Um, so, you know, an enemy attack, that's a trial, my own stupid mistake that caused a whole lot of pain in my life, that's a trial. So uh, high school students, listen to me. This is going to happen to you possibly. Uh-oh, I need to change my major because I actually hate this, <laughs> right? <laughs> that happens. Um, but trauma is a trial. I mean, you name You understand what trials are. I don't have to belabor this, right? Um, anything that comes at us, um, anything that comes at us is a trial, and the, the word steadfastness means persisting and enduring in spite of opposition. So figuratively, what it should look like, well, this is what James is saying. He's like, hey, count it all joy when you go through trials because you know that the testing of your faith is producing perseverance. This resilience is happening. You are becoming something. You are being changed. You're being matured and completed. But what happens, what really happens though, really What really happens under trial? We get poked. We get changed. You know, this happens to me and I'm never the same. Oh, that happened to me. I I went out on a limb and I tried something and I failed and I'm never doing it again. And we just become this misshapen, poked thing. (laughs) I told you I say stupid things when I go off my notes. Okay. All right, so listen, so I, when I was, I love, I love that we're reading, um, our family plan is, is coming books at a time. I love this because when you read all of James, you go back and you go, wow, that whole thing is talking about trials. You know, the, everything he's saying is referred back to this opening statement of, hey, count it all joy. So this is what uh, I feel like James knew that we would struggle with. He knows that our tendency under trial are for these things to happen, and his whole book is just answering that. First one, we get grumpy. Who gets grumpy under trial? Oh, yeah. Okay, some of you are liars because you didn't put up your hand. We don't know what to do, right? I don't don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. Third, we're tempted to sin. I'm super-stressed. I'm going to turn to something for comfort. Ah, number four, we get angry and we lash out. I know. Or we get angry and go inward and don't talk to anyone. We quit, give up, stop doing the work. We run our mouths. Or we look like the world. So, um, you know, and James says so much more. I mean, he talks about favoritism, all kinds of stuff. I 
I couldn't hit it all. You know what I'm saying? The goodness in the meat of James is like a lot. I pulled out seven. That's all I could do. That's all we have time for. So, but there's so much more. Again, I'm going to say this. If you are young people, when you go through trials in your life, run to the book of James. It has so much wisdom. Okay. Um, all right. So we're going to break it down. And I think I'm ready for that. Okay, so the first problem that I listed, the number one the problem was that we get grumpy. And what's James's solution? He says, joy. Joy is your key. And um, he's saying to you, this is producing something in you. You cannot bounce back without joy. You can't. If y- this person right here is somebody without joy, because joy is the key. It's the thing. It's the bounce back thing. Okay, and so, and I, I, I was just praying, and I just felt like the Lord, I just kind of, this is, this is me, but it's like he's saying, listen, I know you don't see the big picture right now, but this is doing something in you. You are growing, you're learning, you're perfecting your inner man, and this is a good thing, and you will be so thankful once it's over, and you see the work I did in you, okay? This is how we have the joy, as we know that this is, he's, it's doing something. This is not for nothing. God wastes nothing, right? All right, so I have a little uh, disclaimer. God wastes nothing, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we waste our trial. Sometimes those trials don't perfect our faith. Why? Because we don't bounce back. We don't have joy in them. We don't let them perfect our faith. We spiral and flop like a fish out of water, and we don't know what to do. So we're not going to do that, right? We're not going to waste any trial that comes at us. We're going to count it joy. We're going to keep it. We're going to do that. Okay, so the next thing that happens Problem number two, I said this, we don't know what to do, right? And what does James say? Ask for wisdom. When you are in a trial and you don't know what to do, ask for wisdom. Yes, and, and listen, I can't tell you how many times I've been faced with a situation when I don't know what to do, and what happens when you don't know what to do? You're paralyzed. You're stuck. Anxiety. <sighs> And that feeling, and you're like, I don't know what to do. And um, it's panic. It just washes over us. The wash of panic just comes over because we don't know what to do. But James 1, 5 through 8 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. Everybody say all. All without reproach. Do you know what that means? That means he's not going to be annoyed at you when you come to him and ask you for help. He's not burdened by you. It's not like he's too busy running the universe to hear your, your little menial problem that you think is whatever. No, he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. This is the one that trips everybody up. <laughs> For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. And so now we're like, well, thanks, James. I'm probably double-minded because I think that I, I think I asked for wisdom and I hear from God and they're like, oh, is that you? Was that your wisdom? I don't know. And we don't know. All right. He just produced another problem, right? 
But listen, he answers it because how do we know that what we're hearing is from God? Well, he clears up what worldly wisdom is and what godly wisdom is. So James 3.13 says, I'm going to read it for my thing. Oh, gosh, I just looked up at those lights and I can't see anything. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Godly wisdom is peaceable and gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. But earthly wisdom has disorder. It has vile practice. It has selfish ambition attached. It has bitter jealousy in it. It's all about what's in your heart. So when you're asking God for wisdom, you're going to him and you're asking him for wisdom and you hear something, you're like, oh, is that God? Was that not? Huh? Huh? You do the checklist. Wow, is this, is this full of peace or is this full of disorder? Right? Ooh, is there a little bit of selfish ambition in there? Is this what I want to be the wisdom of God, but really it's what I want? No, we, we use that to weigh that. Okay, so the third problem that comes at us is that we are tempted to sin, right, when we're stressed. Yes, so James' solution is, he says, you need to know where temptations come from, and you also need to know where our blessings come from. So, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So our own desire, because this talked about how uh, temptations come from our own desire, they don't come from God. Our own desire is that we want out of the trial, ASAP. Right away, right now, get me out of it. I, I gotta go, I'm bailing. So this could lead us to sin. It could lead us to lie or to steal or to cheat or to cut corners, compromise integrity. Just make it stop. I need to check it off the list. I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta be done with this. The pressure is too much. And if we can't find a way out, we settle for anything that gets us out of the feelings that the trial creates. 
And that's when we, you know, excessively game or shop or turn to alcohol, drugs, gambling, eating, excessive Netflix binging, whatever it is. I need to be numb. I can't handle this. The pressure is too much. I got to tune out. Okay? And those temptations come from our own selfish desire to have it easier. It is, it's us going, we're being the Play-Doh at that moment. We're going, wow, it's too much, it's too much, it's too much. The way I'm going to find comfort is in something that is not good for me. And then we just, uh, that trial just, it just molds us, it shapes us. Instead of going, okay, I'm, I'm under trial. It's pressing on me, it's pressing on me. I'm tempted to sin, but you know what? No, the word says I, I need to have joy. If I ask God for wisdom, he's going to tell me what to do. Okay, I'm going to do the hard things. I'm going to do that. And we begin to bounce back. Okay? All right. And James lets us know what kind of God we serve. One that gives good gifts. He does. He doesn't change. He's always steadfast and good. He lives in us. He will help us navigate the trial. He's not abandoned us. We don't have to jump ship early. We have a partner in this. Amen? All right. So the fourth problem is that we are... Oh, did I... There we go. The fourth problem is that we are tempted to get angry and lash out when we're under trial. That one hit me. I get a little irritated. I have this, like, wall. Have you guys seen my wall when I'm overwhelmed? It's visible. I mean, it's visible. I'm like... You can just see it come up. And I'm like holding it in like, hold, like this week was cracking me up. I'm like, anyway, I'm because like, I'm, I'm teaching on this stuff. I'm going, joy, I got joy. This is doing something to me. I'm growing. I'm going to be better. Woo, I can do this. One thing at a time, Shelly, just do one thing at a time. You know, <laughs> But the, the wall starts to come up and I'm like, Meh. anyway, where am I at? Thank you. Okay, Ooh, I'm at the bottom. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are paying attention. So we're tempted to get angry and lash out when we're under trial, but James's solution is, what is his solution? He says, be slow to anger. James 2, 19, 19 through 24, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, Yep, he's saying don't cheat or lie or steal to get out of it. He's saying receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Listen, guys. He knows that we're going to get short-tempered in our trial. And we need all the help we can get. So we need to implant the word in our hearts. It's that we, we don't memorize scripture for nothing, Right? The word is so important. I am so excited about this, this um, discipleship movement we're doing, this family reading planning that we're doing. You guys, this, the word inside of us, it's, again, the Lord doesn't waste it. It's stored up in there so that when you are in the middle of your trial and you're tempted to get angry, that implanted word begins to rise up. That's what happens. It changes you. This isn't just a book. It's living and breathing and active, and it changes us when we read it. We are changed when we read the word and implant it in our hearts And that's how we are slow to speak, quick to listen, is having that inside of us. So 
Woo. Amen. All right. So the fifth thing that we do when we are in the middle of a trial is we want to quit. We become apathetic. We give up. And we don't do the word. But James's solution is, he says, don't be deceived. So we're going to get to that. He says, be aware that you can be deceived. So James 1.19, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Then we're going to bounce to James 2. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So the first thing that I want to point out here is that we don't always know we are deceived when we're deceived. That's, that's the nature of deception, okay? So w- is that we don't know. So I don't think we always realize that we're not doers. I think that we think we're doers of the word, right? We do. And, and you know, and we'll say this like, you know, I'm a doer of the word, especially with all the things that I have going on. I mean, I'm just, I'm doing my best. And I'm so, oh. Guilty. But how much of that stuff going on did you create and the Lord not ask you to do? So we create our own trials by taking on too much, saying yes to too many things. Then we can't say yes and be a doer of the word and the things that God asked us to do. Amen. So um, anyway, but the way we know that we are deceived is to allow someone else in our lives who will challenge us to ask ourselves, Am I doing the word? Do my actions line up with my beliefs? Do I say, yeah, I know I should do it, but I don't do it? Because, you know, James 4.17 said, says that that's sin. And what is it about a good trial or a stressful situation that makes us just want to be like, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. I bail. I mean, we do that, right? The pressure comes and we just have to, like, we just have to go. And we just make excuses as to why we can't be doers of the word based on our circumstances. And sometimes we even deceive ourselves thinking that God is wanting us to quit something or give something up. When he originally put it on our hearts, I'm guilty of that as well. We allow the trial, again, we allow the trial to push in and imprint us, and and the trial changes us instead of perfecting us. I keep hitting this button. Instead of perfecting us. So, whew. so we're going to be doers of the word who don't quit when it gets hard. Amen? Okay, all right. So the sixth problem when we are under trial is that we want to run our mouths. Now, I did something. There we go. Okay, we want to we run our mouths, right? We're like, okay, let me just tell you all about my horrible situation. Let me tell you about how someone else is at fault for it. Uh, we want to whine and complain about it. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't even want to preach about this. Yes, it happens on Facebook, but I don't even want to say that. Uh, like, I am so, I'm just telling you right now, this is what I do. 
I just need validation, you know. I got to tell you how many times my hip hurts because I need you to know. I just need you to feel and have some validation for me. <laughs> it's, I, it's, and I'm like, I need to shut my mouth. Like, shut it. And not that we don't express our feelings, you know. I'm, I'm all a proponent of that, but, you know, let's not overdo it here, okay? Okay, so uh, let's see what James says about this. So James, <laughs> if it, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. And we'll skip down to James eleven twelve. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine products? Grapevine produce figs. Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. And then we're hopping into Proverbs, because, you know, James is like the New Testament Proverbs. Anyway, <laughs> hopping into Proverbs, James 18, 21. Death, or Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So our entire body is guided by what we say. And we need to be speaking life over our situations rather than speaking death. And again, it's just this simple object lesson between am I going to be resilient? Am I going to speak life into my trial and into the things that I'm going through? Or am I just going to let it crush me? Am I going to be crushed underneath this trial? Am I going to run my mouth and talk about how, ba- how terrible it is? Am I going to... Um, talk about all the people that I'm bitter at, all of that. All right, but we're not going to do that, right? We're going to listen to the, we're going to take that implanted word and we're going to use our mouths to speak life. Yes. All right, so the seventh problem that happens when we are under trial is we end up looking like the world. So I'm going to, I don't have it all up there, but I'm going to read almost all of four because, man, that, whew. Did anybody else, like, when you were reading four, be like, whew, James, you're like smacking us. Okay, here we go. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So, you know, I've quoted... God opposes the, cr- the proud but gives grace to the humble separately from submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Separately again from 
draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? Have we all done that? We've just kind of cherry picked them out. But when you read this all in this context together, you, context is key. And you see that James is bringing a correction about worldliness. And it's kind of a stern correction. Would you agree? But then this is what he says. He, he ends it with run to the Lord. Run to the Lord. He will give you grace as soon as you humble yourself. He will protect you from the devil's schemes when you submit yourself. He will come near to you when you draw near to him. Isn't that good news? Because really, when, we are, when we're in the middle of a trial and then we've sinned and now we look like the world, right? It's just that consecutive thing. The last thing we want to do is run towards the Lord, right? That's what we do. We, we don't, we don't, that's just, I don't know why, but that's what we don't want to do that. Shame, shame keeps us from it. But he's saying, no, 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 no. This is exactly the time that you do this. The exact time that you humble yourself, that's when the Lord gives you grace. The exact time when you submit yourself, that is when the demons flee. The exact time when you draw near to him is when he's going to draw near to you in the midst of your really ugly, worldly mess. That's when he does it, when you submit yourself. And I think that that is great encouragement. Amen? All right, so we're going to do a real quick review. So number one, hold on to your joy, your joy, because the trial is producing something. Number two, when we don't know what to do, ask God for wisdom. Number three, this isn't rocket science, but number three, when we are stressed, we are more tempted to sin and look for an easy way out. Yet God gives good gifts and he lives in us. He will help us. Number four, to keep from getting angry and plant the word. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Number five, remember that we can be deceived. Be doers of the word. Our faith has works. Our actions reflect what we believe. Number six, our words direct our life. And number seven, run from worldliness and run to him. Run from worldliness and run to him. Humble yourselves, submit to him, and draw near to him. He is waiting for you. Amen. All right. So um, if you follow these things, these seven things, probably there's more, I'm sure of it, but seven of the things out of James, your ability to be resilient and bounce back is going to exponentially increase. Amen. So, um, At this time, I want to go ahead and call forth our, our seniors and um, our high school seniors and our um, college graduates. This was for you guys. Listen, you got to take this with you, these seven things. I hope you took a picture of it because these are, it's just part of the processing of life. So all of you who are, come on, you guys know who you are. Yes, seniors, high school seniors. Let's put high school seniors on this side because we're going to give you a gift, but I'm going to tell everybody about it first. So... High school seniors on this side, college graduates on this side. Yes, 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 yes. Yep, you three. Sarah's gone. Good guy. Okay. All right. I'm going to tell you guys who everybody is in just a minute. Um, but first, I want to tell you about, um, I know, isn't this awesome? Woo! Yes. Aren't they amazing? Yes. Okay. So, 
we're about to give you guys a gift. Some of you know what this is and some of you may not. Um, but this is a prophetic journal that all of us at New Covenant have made for you. A lot of us submitted words in it, but I, I, I actually just, I'm just going to show you what the cover page is because that makes all the sense for you. And Okay, so this is basically what these journals say right at the beginning. This prophetic journal is... This prophetic journal of encouragement is presented to senior graduate, and I put Benjamin in there, Benjamin Preble, from many who love you and believe in you at New Covenant Worship Center. And then we um, quoted Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3. And then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that, so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place, and it will not be delayed. Second page is the instruction page, and it says, what is this book and how do I use it? This book is a product of many hours of prayer and seeking the Lord on your behalf. Each of us prayed for you specifically and asked the Lord to give us a word of encouragement for you. Some words have to do with things we saw the Lord doing in your future. Please note that we do not see the whole picture. Some of these words may not come to pass for 20 or 30 years, and some not at all. You will know the word is for you because your spirit will be in agreement. We desire that you read over this book and allow the love and affection of Jesus to wash over you. You can go back to these words anytime you need refreshment or direction from the Lord. There are extra pages in the back that you can add more words that the Lord speaks to you testimonies, or other significant experiences that happen throughout your life. We are all rooting for you. All right, amen. So um, first I just want to introduce you to all of, our, um, all of our people, and we'll start with, so just give a hand raise just so that you guys know who they are. Benjamin Preble. This is Benjamin Preble. H hand higher. There we go. Jaden Youngquist. Where are you? Why are you not up here? Jaden? Jaden? Is she up there? Yes, she is. Come on. <laughs> okay, so Cole Hughes, give a wave. All right. Josh Farmer. Woo! Kyla Cash. Yes. Bryn Tower, I think, is not here. Okay, but she's one of our graduates as well. Emily Stewart. Yes. Asher Glover. There we go. And Arlen Martin. Give a wave. Woo! All right. Those are our high school. So now we have our college grads. We have Ryan Haler, who graduated back in December. Sarah Greenia, our sweet Sarah Greenia, also graduated in December as well. She is not here. She's in Washington State. So that's another one. Altamaya Zimmerman. Woo! Uh, Eva Martin. Yes. And Lacey Weitzel. Yes. So we are honored to be part of your journey. If you guys would just go ahead and pass those out to everybody. Um, yes, thank you. Do what? Oh, Faith, why is your name? I have a book, yes, Faith Verley. I, I skipped your name, I think, but it's on here. Yes, oh, yeah, she does. It's there. Thank you, Faith Furley. Wait, <laughs> sorry. You know, that was my worst fear. That's probably part of my stress is that I missed a graduate. Okay, um, all right, so once everybody has theirs, we're just going to pray over them as a church body. If you guys could just stretch your hands towards them. All right, 
So, Lord God, we just thank you uh, for these amazing, amazing individuals from the next generation, Lord. And God, I just thank you that you are sending them out to the next journey of their life, that you have um, raised them up. You are continuing to raise them up, God, to be radical, passionate, and aggressive lovers of you and other people. Lord, we just want to pray protection over them. We just want to honor them and bless them. Let them know that they are loved, that this place is always their home. We are all rooting for all of you. Um, Lord, help them to know just how much they are loved and how blessed they are as they go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, can we give these guys a hand? All right. Yes. All right, make sure you go up to them and say congratulations, all of that stuff. You guys can go and sit if you would like. So we are... Um, after service, we're actually going to pray for Alta May. You can actually stay up here. We're going to pray for Alta May. She is moving to New York. Um, so if anyone wants to stay after service to lay hands on Alta May and bless her, you are welcome to do that. Otherwise, this does conclude our service. And um, so I'll just pray us out. So, Lord, I just thank you um, for your word. Lord, I thank you for resilience. Lord, we're asking for just a dose of resilience. We're asking that your word... Um, would just implant deep in our hearts that we would just and your joy would wash over us that you would help us through every trial that we're going through um god we do surrender to you we submit to you we run towards you in the midst of our pain in the midst of our tragedy in the midst of our our own personal mess ups god we run towards you lord help us to shut our mouths help us to be slow to speak and quick to listen Help us to turn to you and not other things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Help us to understand your wisdom. What is your true godly wisdom? Lord, help us with joy. We just ask for a super dose of joy. Thank you, Lord. We just love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.